old are you? My teeth are broken apart into pieces and have been reconstructed right. over multiple cosmetic surgeries. That's, calling them cosmetic surgeries is... That, that's a stretch. By the standards of the United States, they are certainly elective. Well, it's elective. That's different. But they're cosmetic as well. How are they not cosmetic? Otherwise, my front teeth look all fucked up. Well, I wouldn't call it a surgery. It's the definition of cosmetic, and yes, it's a surgery. Are you knocked out for it? No. To have glue put on? No. It's only it's only a surgery if you're like... <clears throat> not all surgery is under anesthetic. That is not true. You can have inpatient surgery where they just numb the area. Yes, I, I'm familiar with dental surgery. There you go. It's dental surgery. But that's not surgery. It was just dental work. You just call it work. You can get some work done. I don't know why we make this arbitrary distinction between dental things and other health things. Because we have if... to charge differently for it because America. Yeah, I guess so. But mm-hmm. it's still surgery. I mean, anything that you can walk away from the same day, eh, you just got a little work done. You know, if you got Botox, I got a little work done. Well, people walk away from a colonoscopy. I guess that's not a surgery because they didn't alter Very or fix slowly, anything. but... Yeah. No, that's not a surgery, though, because it's uh, not altering any part of your body. That's what I would say the definition of a surgery is. Hmm. I, get, I feel like if you have to get, like, a numbing moment, maybe it's surgery. If they're breaking out the big needle. Yeah, but they, you know, they do that under a lot of different circumstances. Getting stitches well, would count as a surgery. How? Because they numb the area sometimes. Yeah, but that's like the... Getting a tattoo removed would count because they also numb the area. Is that a surgical uh, intervention? But that's like, no, because that's like the topical cream. The cream. Um, it's not like an injectable. It's not a cream to remove a tattoo. Yeah. It, no, it's not. It's For a, numbing? It's a laser. Oh, yeah. It's a cream to numb. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, if it's not getting injected, not a surgery. Oh, okay. All right. I'm not sure that's true, but well, I'll take your word for it. I think so. I think if we're not doing pokies, no real surgery involved. Hmm. But what about a, a more typical larger scale surgery where there's no pokey involved, but they put you out with the gas? That's a surgery, but there's no needle there's involved. There's no surgery that you go under just by gas. Yeah, there is. No, it's in the IV. Oh, I guess that's true too. But th- no, there's definitely surgeries where you go under. But yeah, for sure, man. No. Yeah. No. I got the gas. When I got my femur worked on, when I broke my femur, they, yeah, g- and they, they gassed also, me. Yeah, that was just to get you out. And then to keep you out, they put some drops in the IV bag. Oh, okay. So, but it's a double part thing. Yeah, they're saying. like, okay, time to go to Dreamland. Then they keep you, you know, the gas is just to knock you out. Oh, I see. That's not an anesthetic itself. No. That's just a sleep aid. That's a, it's part of anesthesia, yeah. But it's, you know, I asked for a double whammy when I got my wisdom teeth out. I was like, I don't want to do needle. And they're like, okay. So they gassed me before they put the IV in because I was like, I don't want to deal with it. Wow. You're that afraid of needles, huh? Yes, I am. Wow. No me gusta. I don't know if we talked about it, but how did the vaccine go for you? Did no you me just gusta. have to look away? <laughs> Looked very, like, strained my neck. What happens in your mind while this is going on? Like, what exactly are you afraid of? Is it just like a visceral reptilian fear I, that you can't account for? I cannot see it being unwrapped. Like as soon as they're like, okay. And I'm like, nope, nope. Over here. Nope, nope. Just the faster, the better, the faster, ma'am. Just jam it in. Hmm. And it's not bad when it's over and done and like when they do it, but I just can't see a sharp object. I'm not also afraid of sharp objects, I think is the problem. But you can use kitchen knives just fine. I cut the shit out of my hands a lot though. What about like an X-Acto knife? It doesn't count. It does count, though. It's it's sharper than a kitchen knife. Mm, 
I don't know. It's the the sharp and the thin that I'm like, ooh. Sharp and thin, You could yeah. poke that anywhere, and I wouldn't know. Where do you think this comes from? Like, if you had to guess, because a lot of children develop this, and then it sticks with them into adulthood. I don't know. But I don't understand where the fear originates, you know? Because as a child, like, why would you know that it was bad? I don't know. I think I just, I don't know. I think seeing the object is not not friendly is it like the whole medical environment in general like Maybe. what if you saw a needle for sewing that doesn't scare you no i'm like i'll shove six of them in my mouth and start going to town you know? right which is terrible to do so it's you... not the pointy thinness of the thing necessarily it's a lot more factors than that uh a sewing needle is a lot thinner than a medical or thicker than a medical needle i guess so yeah not Wait. always though i don't know tetanus shots those are pretty sizable when's needles. the last when you get in a tetanus shot once every 10 years i guess sure when was the last time you got a tetanus shot uh, when I was 15. Okay, so you're a little overdue. Yeah. Um, I think the world is... O- you only get one when you're like, fuck it, rusty nail, son of a bitch. Which, right. How many rusty nails are we stepping on here? Uh, it happens, man. I don't know. Mm. Mm, I mean, it's New York, especially on the streets here. I mean, I keep getting freaked out when I'm in my car and I go to park and you hear glass shatter. Oh, I do. I mean, that's Because there's trash everywhere. Yeah. You know, there's screws in the street. You never know. I've had screws go into my bike. Why not into my foot? I mean, okay, so you, you does your foot roll up like a fucking uh, roadrunner? Like, do you spin your, your feet up and then brrr, down the road? No, but you're acting like there is a 0% chance that there could ever be a standing up nail or screw that's rusty on the street. And I'm just saying that that's... That's why you don't walk on, like, planks. I bet that happens three times a day in New York. It's a city of eight and a half million people. I would say just purely statistically, there's three people okay. stepping on rusty nails every day. And I bet only one of those three is going to the hospital. And oh, yeah, no. Everybody else is just risking it for a biscuit, baby. Excuse me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what was that phrase? I'd rather never hear that <laughs> ever again. Yeah, you know, whatever flips your cookie, as my dear mother used to say. Okay. Instead of floats your boat? Yeah, it was flips your cookie in my house. Why? I don't know. It's a lot more fun. Flips your cookie sounds whatever like whatever flicks your cunt. You know, like, that's very, like... Excuse me. It seems like a very, like, we're replacing bad words with safe words. When the, yeah. the, when the words that are being replaced were just safe anyway. It sounds like a, a high school euphemism. Whatever flips your cookie. Like, Gina got her cookie flipped over the weekend. I mean, or cookie flipping sounds like you had, like, you know, a pot brownie and then took an ecstasy <laughs> and a cookie you yeah, know yeah, like exactly that's like, true a like weed, hippie tripping yeah. a weed cookie and some molly and you've you flipped, flipped your cookie <laughs> yeah you, you flipped your cookie yeah. i like this concept i'm gonna do that from now on oh boy i said from now on as if i'm like constantly <laughs> rolling every day you heard you heard it here first Con- the constant dry mouth is not from nicotine it's from rolling mm-hmm. yeah absolutely rolling yes that's what the kids call it I don't know what the kids call it On the MDMA? Because they've changed the name of Molly to something else now. What is it now? I can't remember what it is. It's another M word. And also, you know, it wasn't called Molly when I was growing up. Ecstasy. Or actually, Molly and ecstasy were interchangeable, but they're actually two different I thought one was the higher quality. Yeah, that's correct. Because ecstasy was cut with too much cocaine? Or crack? Uh, I don't know if there was coke in it. It's probably like meth, actually. There's a little bit. Cheap drugs. There's meth in everything, let's be real. They cut the more expensive drugs with the cheaper drugs. Or with baby powder and baking soda. What? I guess fentanyl now. Ooh, yeah. But. Yeah. Dear aging Brooklyn hipsters who order cocaine, get get the little test strips. Take a little, take a little dip in there. 
They sell them on Amazon. When you said aging Brooklyn hip- hipster, I just pictured the like haggard Wojak. Hey, you want a mirror? <laughs> yeah. I do look like that guy <laughs> on most days, honestly. The, the the like flippy hair today too is giving me some like weird like scraggly, you know. As you know, I have atomic grade dandruff. Uh-huh. So the winter makes it extra bad. And I've decided I have to wash my hair every day now with the anti-dandruff shampoo, which I don't normally like to do because it makes my hair poofy and wavy and weird. Mm. The anti-dandruff shampoo is like very harsh on your hair. Uh Uh-huh. It makes it coarse and poofy. Well. I guess I could get a conditioner, but I don't know. Yeah. You know how I feel about beauty products and investing in these whole regimens. I'm not that interested. So yeah, my hair looks weird now because I have to wash it every day. I used to wash it mm, every third day, maybe. I mean, let those natural oils just infuse my beautiful, beautiful head of hair. You know, I miss shampoo. <laughs> I literally looked at one of my employees and I was like, Shit, what else do I need from Target? He's like, what else? Do you, what do you run out of? Like paper towel, toilet paper, shampoo? I was like, you son of a bitch. And he was like, oh, didn't mean it that way. I was like, OK, I'll remember that mm. in 60 days. Uh, I think it would be funny if next Halloween I shaved my head and we made my hair into a wig. That's not how that works. And then we could. I I have enough that if I fully take it off, we could make it into a sizable head of hair. Okay. You've seen the trash can after I cut my hair. Yeah, it's just It's insane. no joke. There's a fucking raccoon in there. Yeah. You know? So my idea is that I cut all my hair off and you go to Halloween as me and I go as you. We trade glasses, frames, aesthetic outfits. I wear a black hat. You wear a white hat. Ugh. All the things I can't you do. You wear a black t-shirt and black jeans. I'll Everything wear a white collared <laughs> shirt and some chinos. It would be really funny. <laughs> I'll wear the low-cut socks. You'll wear the high-cut socks. Ugh, I'd be so uncomfortable. I'd be like, wait, what? We have... Everything's wrong. Everything is wrong. You do all the drugs and I scoff at people for doing them. Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, well, things are going awry here on this <laughs> yeah. night. I think oh, it's a good boy. idea. Just think about it. Consider it. I mean, I saw a man who clearly today had like a piece installed because it was like, or he had, you know, hair club for men aggressively because I was like, my friend, your hairline, it's so hard and so black and I see the lace. Well, then it was a rug. Yeah. You knew it was. I mean, I but rugs are getting pretty good these days. Sometimes it is hard to tell whether somebody's got like an Elon Musk thing where they just paid a lot of money yeah. to get their hair back or it's $10,000 whether or not they have a rug. Yeah. I'm sure Elon's was more. His looks kind of bad. His, I, we've talked about it before, but his was a really drastic situation. I mean, pictures of him from the PayPal days, he looks worse than Friar Tuck. I mean, yeah. It was gnarly, and it's he was in his great. 20s. So, Oof. well, The fact that he's in his 50s now, and he looks like Roger Klotz from Doug. Who? The green person from Doug, Roger Klotz. They're all different colors. What are you talking <laughs> well, about? Well, he's the green one that looks like a reptile. Roger with the wavy hair and the wait the guy specific. wait the guy with the black leather jacket. Yes, that's the more distinct feature in the land of the cartoon characters that have different colored skin. <laughs> Except Beaker, Beaker. What's the guy's name? Skeeter. Skeeter clearly black though. Well, he's the blue one, but sure. I I thought it was understood. It was like a Hey Arnold situation where it's like that makes Blue Lives Matter really complicated in that <laughs> universe. <laughs> Why is Doug the only white guy? Because he's the Patty bo- Mayonnaise is white. No, she's not. What is she supposed to be? She has blonde hair. Yeah, but she's so tan. Curious Latina. Oh, maybe. Maybe she's Hawaiian. Mm. She's a, a, a Howley, Hawaiian white girl. But she's so ta- she's like orange tan, 
And she has like a southern accent. Well, you know, people used to go to tanning beds a lot more often. This yeah. was the early 90s. There were not tanning beds. Sure there were. Oh, there were. Yeah, I mean, I miss tanning. I, I almost thought about this the other day because I keep seeing how pale I am. I'm like, I might go get a tan. Hey, man, whatever flips your cookie. <laughs> but uh, Have you ever gone to a tanning bed? No, I don't need to do that. Well, in the wintertime, you need a little vitamin D. You can just go outside. In the winter, in the cold? No, I want to be hot. I guess. I don't know. I don't understand the enjoyment of it. I don't like being hot. It's like nine minutes. You you literally feel like you're being microwaved because you are. And you just, you know, you put a little, you know, a little sticker on your hip to see how tan you got. I never did that. Thank you very much. Um, And then you're just like, ooh, I'm a little burnt. Love it. I love that you had to qualify that you never did it. They sold them and I was always just like, am I... No, I'm not. I'm not that. I'm like, yeah, now you are, bitch. Yes, you are. Get that Playboy bunny sticker and put it on your hip. I remember that. And you know what? Like, I have a lot of weird attachments to 2000 aesthetics mm-hmm. and how they feel sexy to me just because that was the age okay. in which I developed. Yeah, your love of whale tail. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Well documented. <laughs> but the uh, Playboy bunny thing, I always hated. Never liked it. I think it's gross because it Hugh always Hefner felt is trashy. Gross. And it's, yes, yeah. Hugh is Hugh is gross. Yeah, I do want the house though, the Playboy Mansion. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, of course it's beautiful. But like, oh, what would you have to do to like get the ghosts out of that? Sage it, hire a exterminator, burn it. I don't know. Burn I mean, the whole thing down. Whose possession is the Playboy Mansion in right now? His it's family. The, are you sure? I don't know. I remember hearing when they filmed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that the scene they filmed at the Playboy Mansion was a big deal because whoever currently owns it is not open to the public using it anymore. Oh, right. They're extremely private. So I kind of doubt it's like the Playboy company or his family. Maybe it's his family. The family family was not very public because like, do you ever remember seeing the grandkid on the the bunny show, the house bunny shows? I don't remember the kid. I remember that show. There was like a grandkid that was always running around. I'm like, with all the titties? Your eight-year-old grandkid run around, but he was like a little nerd. Oh, that might be Cooper Hefner. Mm. Are you sure he was a grandkid and not just Hugh Hefner's son? I don't know. I can't I can't say for Because sure. around the time that that show was being made, Hugh Hefner had a son that was like in it, maybe a tween. Was the kid like He was like 12? younger, yeah. Oh, like, okay. yeah. Like 10-ish, yeah. Or he, he could have been a child of a playmate from before Hugh. Mm. Listen, there was a lot of kids running around there. The guy... Yeah, it's gross. He was having sexual relations daily Ugh. for 80 years. How? How? Again, how? This is why we fund science and medicine for blue pills? Uh, it came out recently that apparently he was like giving everyone quaaludes. How did he get quaaludes? <laughs> I don't know. Where did he have a step? There's no quaaludes in the world. I would do a quaalude if someone gave it to me. I'd be like, ooh, what a, what a rare treat. That They're would huge. be very funny. If I ever encounter some vintage quaaludes, I'll share them with you. Oh, yeah. Give me one, put me in a room, and I'll be like, wee! Oh, God. Anyway. Yeah. They called them panty droppers in the 70s, okay. the quaaludes. So apparently that's how. Yeah, they just make you easy, which for me, I mean, call it a Tuesday again, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know you can buy poppers at the bodega. I know. My My... My mall bodega sells poppers, and I'm always like, should I? It's daytime. I can't buy poppers from my <laughs> smoke guy. He's don't shit like, where you eat. Don't buy I know, them I was near like, where you work. But I was like, eh, we don't have these in Brooklyn here. I mean, hey, you know. And he's got the big bottles. I'm like, my friend, what are we doing here? How many how many twinks are in you know, Elmhurst? A lot of people do poppers now. It's gone well beyond the gay community. <sighs> 
Straights are doing poppers? Yeah, for sure. Gross. Oh, Miami Beach? Probably just, it's littered with them right now. Why? It looks like a cargo ship full of poppers probably washed up on the beach there. In Miami? Why in Miami? The art fair just happened, man. That was like two weeks ago. Yeah, I know. They're still cleaning it up. Oh, boy. It's like a World War One battlefield. With crates and poppers. <laughs> <laughs> Crate remnants and cardboard yeah. and plexi. Sintra everywhere. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like every picture that I saw from Miami, no one looked like... It didn't seem like... Normally you see like, you know, Instagram... Your friends are like, woo, having fun. I didn't see any fun happening. It was a oh, lot of I, like business going on. People were like, we're finally back and time to sell some shit. We've got to go. I saw a lot of fun pictures from it, oh. from people that went. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Miami Basel is one of those things now where like everyone that's been around for a minute has either like been there and decided they don't like it or just goes because they have to go. Yeah. There's very few people I think that are just down there to party normies go down there on the week when the public i was talking to natalie about this yeah. friend of the show um uh i was like wait a minute no she was like oh yeah they're still down i'm like no they're not it's it's thursday we're open to the public no one cares anymore shit the people who are gonna walk in and be like are you the artist can i i'm gonna take a selfie by the alex Israel over here it's really cute who did you see what he did his like Snapchat VR painting thing. Snapchat. Yeah. It's 2022 almost. Yeah, he's been doing those collaborations with that company for a few years. I mean, we love money, folks. I mean, listen, man, crypto people that love NFTs think that stuff is cool. <sighs> you can hate on Alex Israel all you want, and I'll be the first in line. <laughs> but let's be real, as a branding decision and as a money maker, it's not a bad idea. <sighs> he's totally a cynical artist. Like, what do you expect? I mean, you know. I don't hold it against the guy. Whatever. Do your... This is how far we've fallen. Like, at least Jeff Koons, like, puts foundries out of business and does really diabolical things for yeah. his, like, giant schlock. Alex now we're just, taking just some an NFT money. guy. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah, it's pretty bad. The hollow version. <sighs> the hollow version of a thing that was already a fucking Easter, Easter bunny that chocolate? That is literally an inflatable. Well, it's been put as metal. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I, I did see one, one gallery who was like, hmm, okay, did my selling days, and now I'm in France. I was like, wait, wait fear's still going on. No, no, I don't have to be there for that. Like, <laughs> wow, okay. Um, you know. Yeah, you just deputize a couple interns and... Ah, not even the interns. You just go, director, I'm leaving. Yeah. I've done my big selling. Get some scraps. Time to hit the Learjet. Get, on, get me a PJ. Time <laughs> to go. <laughs> Business class. It's the Lower East Side. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm still like, I don't know. I There's a couple things, like, because, you know, we got some feedback that people like like a little bit of art talk. Yeah. Um, so Jerry, not, uh, I don't even want to bring him up, but Jerry made a, a post that was like, stop calling your parents. They're smothering you with love. Call them once every two weeks and maybe never. And people are like, this is a wrong take. You are, you are, you are wrong, uh, and uh, you you suck. I was like, oh, good. This is the thing that's going to turn the tide. Is like, don't call your parents. We're finally going to be like, it's not the like pervy drawings and the al- like alpha channeling reposts. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because he's criticizing like millennial. He's doing the boomer he's basically thing just of, being like your snowflakes, and of, I'm like, ooh, yeah, of millennials being coddled and like not prepared for reality or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then 
millennials get defensive about it, therefore accidentally proving him well, right. Yeah, but <laughs> which I kind of like. Well, he it's just not a question s- of calling your parents or not. That's like, listen, Jerry Salt's just showing like basic human love and understanding is totally fine. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to promote a society of more like cold, calculating, hustling. You know? Yeah, I'm like, are we chan- are we like saying like go go hustle culture? Like, I don't know. He also like had. Uh, I don't know what he's trying to say. That's always the problem with him. It's the same thing with the thing about benches that we talked about. It's like, what are you really getting at here? You're just complaining, like into the void. Well, then he, him, and Kenny Schachter like got tattoos about NFTism or some bullshit. What? Yes. Well, he didn't. Did but... he post a picture of it? No, Kenny Schachter did. It's like on his like bicep I, or titty. I don't know. But I was like, you're all, you're both out of touch old men, and I need this to just stop, um, because, or you both have to retire and go away. You're now just taking up space as old people. This is the same thing as like, you know, corporate America and any sort of yeah. roles where out of touch people have been, you know, stuck. I'm like, you have to retire. Someone needs to give you money to go retire, because I'm, you don't get to be arbiters of anything anymore. Yeah, I mean, I support this. You know, if we were a more well-organized society, Jerry Saltz would be on an ice flow right now. Yeah! You Viking know? style. And everybody that liked him could stand on the shore and salute while he disappeared onto the horizon, but the rest of us could rejoice. While I go see some, you know, orcas and start paying them off in some cold, hard, you know, cash and be like, go, <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm very pro, man. I'm very pro. Excuse uh, me? Yeah. I get frustrated often with... What does pro-man mean? I'm pro-men. I I think men are good and cool and dudes rock, right? But the worst type of man is non-artist, art world man. Oh, well... Dealers, critics... We're verging on territory like that every day. I know. I mean, we kind of are that, I guess. Mm. But um, they're the worst type of man. I have to say, I could live without them. Okay, they pay your bills, but, you know. That's true. So, <laughs> let's maybe not spit in boobs in face right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know what I mean, right? Like, they have the worst aesthetics. They have the worst attitude. They're the most cynical and the most selfish, but also the m- most ready to virtue signal. And also the loudest. Like, you know, yes. like this is like this is why I, like, do the... The thing of, like, I hate follow, like, Craig on Twitter and uh, Patty Shitter Pants Johnson on Twitter and mm-hmm. William, William Pauhita. I don't have a in- interstitial. Like, they're just cranky. Like, and, like, some people have the charm to pull that off. Like, John Yao is cantankerous, but he's charming as a motherfucker, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, These people are charmless, which is... I don't understand, but there's a lot of syncophantic people who are like, here, so I'm just grasping at straws. You're so smart. <laughs> and you're like, no, no, calm the fuck down. You're not going to get written about and fucking hyperallergic, and they're not going to give you a Brooklyn show in a basement on Bogart Street. No one gives a fuck. Ooh, I'm ranting now. Ooh, yeah. Red wine makes me angry. <laughs> um, yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Like, there sure. is that class of people who are, like, in their, like, late 30s, early 40s. They're, like, haven't had a show in 15 years. And I'm like, yeah, same. Who cares? Get over it. Why are we holding on to the, like, 19-year-old dream? It's not like a hyper-allergic review is going to help your career anyway. If anything, it might, you know, make people talk shit about it on a podcast no one listens to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good to laugh. Um, 
yeah i don't i don't know where i'm going about the dudes rock but i think you are right there's a certain class of like art media people who you're just like go die not go die go retire satire well they're pathetic because the type of people that i'm talking about or that you're talking about like jerry salts he's he's the perfect example of this is somebody that just wants to be a celebrity he just wants to be famous. He had a Bravo show. And he was, and you know, he worked on it. He was on the Bravo show, and he's more well-known to normies than most people in the art world. Which is unfortunate. You know, it's like him and probably Damien Hurst and Jeff Koons. Did we see the video of and the crazy old man flinging paint? Yes, yes. Okay. Imagine you walk into a studio visit with a 56-year-old unknown artist, and this is what he's doing. Ooh, check his diaper. Um, <laughs> that's I mean, like he a- does look straight up retarded in that. His eyes, his eyes are glazed over. He's chubby. Have he you, has a red face. He looks He's like covered in paint. I like saw it as a warning sign. I was like, "This could be you in forty years." And I'm like, "Whoops, got it. No eating." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, there's these class of people like this, like Jerry, that they just want to be celebrities. And it's like, all right, stop. You're not gonna be that. Yeah. Nobody cares about art enough. There's no way to get to like Andy Warhol status where you actually transcend. Yeah, it's not the six, this fucking eight seventies eight like where it's like ooh cool and it's all intersected. No, everything is so isolated. Right. Like you're not gonna be mate like pop cultural. Right, but you can be like a Twitter micro celebrity and then really get off on that. I guess. Yeah, people have viral tweets all the time, and they're just like fucking second grade teachers in Missouri or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't fucking matter. And then they go on two talk shows and they're like, I'm famous. And you're like, No, Brenda. Brenda, no. I guess the contrast is just what's crazy. And what I mean by the contrast is like being a niche Twitter micro celebrity is fine for somebody that's like LARPing as a communist or a second grade teacher that makes a funny joke or whatever. And you get your little 15 Sailor minutes. socialist. Yeah, yeah you yeah. get your little 15 minutes, you know. But to have somebody like Jerry Saltz that's doing that, but then simultaneously is like very preachy about his opinions about wrote a book on how to be a person like how do you be an artist and like oh art's so beautiful and like serious and it's like those two things don't really exist together no that's what makes it annoying well having both of those positions be true to yourself is a form of delusion that is you know out of this fucking world well said um that's the part that i just it's like it's very much that like speaking out of both sides of your mouth and you're like you know classically that would fall under the talk shit get hit category um and but no one's ever just been like fuck you which i you know someone should it seems like it probably happens to him all day every day online but that just bolsters his opinion that those people are trolls and that he's even more right yeah you know or like, because the response is always like when someone's like, no, you're wrong. He's like, well, you haven't seen anything. And I've seen your work and it's bad. And you're like, yeah, whoa, does, which is insane. You he petty do, bitch. He does do that to people. Yeah. Oh, gross. I don't know. And he's just riding a train of previous authority, you know, like, I, oh, I'm an art writer. I've had a lot of exposure to artists. Therefore, I am an arbiter of good taste. But I also like NFTs. Also, I don't know. Teaching at Chicago where you show up twice a year is not teaching at chicago right they bought you a plane ticket and comped your meals yeah that's taking part of that endowment for yourself I for mean, free yeah i <laughs> that's like going like I, I could say i i you know went to a continental breakfast at a best western and said that i was the fucking tenured professor of the best western conference room yeah girl um anywho 
I don't know. A while ago, remember when we read that there was an article by Dean Kissick that we read on here? What was the name of that? Did you? Oh, yeah. I don't remember. But did you read his review of the Triennial and the Greater New York? I, I have not. But can I just say about Ooh. him real quick that what I've read of him, he's a young, he's kind of a, he's a young millennial and he's kind of a, yeah, sort of. He's in his 40s, right? He's Early 40s. Us, yeah. He's, yeah. He's a little older than us. But I mean, man, millennials are old now. Zoomers are like in their mid 20s, late 20s now. So. Ew. Anyway, but as far as like a new generation of like non-artists but uh, thinkers that are in this sphere, I think he's pretty good. He's kind of catty. He's opinionated. I might not always agree with like what he says, but I think he's a decent writer. Yeah, and like seems cool. His takes align with how I feel about a lot of things, which yeah, is very alarming. Because um, the review of the the two shows, because he was like, he's like, whoa, triennial, so boring. I was like, yeah, no one. No one's going to go see that because it's about... What's the title of the show? I don't even know, man. Something about water, moving air. Oh, God. Water stone. Is this at a project space in a studio building? Because um, <laughs> Hold on. Vamp while I Google. How dare you? Oh. Soft water, hard stone. That sucks. <laughs> That's yeah. a terrible title. And his whole thing was like, I don't understand how like in previous years it, there, everything was very digital it was very for like there was a lot of new media there's old media but it, it embraced all the technology that we have and we were going somewhere and now everything looks like it could made could have been made in 1820 or 1640 like everything looks old we're using all the old things and it's boring he's like nothing about this seems like we have a future and i guess that's the the kind of you know where everyone's at we're just like <laughs> there's no future what the fuck i'm just gonna take my take my little hog stick and use the, yeah. use the dirt water and put it on on the on the on the on the wheat. Right. You know. You know, and I think we've talked about it before cuz I've long had the opinion that like basically when you're talking about specifically painting it's a really good example of this because it is so outmoded as a technology. Yeah. There are technologies now that can do a lot more things as far as two-dimensional images go than paintings can really ever do. Yeah. And not that painting doesn't. That's have, also been the, the case since for sixty years. You know, people more. were having the same debate around photography and stuff, but I think there is like a meaningful, a meaningful separation between older forms of art like painting and conventional sculpture than there is with like conceptual art or art in new media. Right. Um, where I think you could make the argument that painting is essentially like an outmoded form of art that it's actually distinct in some ways from whatever the future of art future of art is going to be that's an academic discipline that's kind of to the side of everything advanced and basically plays with its own problems it's basically like writing writing is different because that's more that's mm. more of a space language changes yeah, so, la- yeah language changes and also like the form that a narrative or that an essay or well i wouldn't say, well let me can i rephrase yeah painting is to art as the novel is to writing Perhaps, yeah. I think there's a similar thing going on in the literary sphere where it's being kind of debated pretty openly. Like, can you even really write novels anymore? With attention spans such as they are, it's an interesting question. There's not that many people out there that can read a 700 to 1,000 page book. So if you're trying... It's just you. You're the only person who can do that. There's a lot of people There's a lot of people that can do that, but it's a dwindling number of people. There's a dwindling number of people that can finish a 200 page book. But I also... You know? Well, yeah. But I also think like, you know, on that level like there there are younger people and also more interesting quirky people who like we're not quirky but like you know people who play with the art form of like the idea of prose like ann carson and you know some uh 
even Zadie Smith, the way that she structures what the contemporary novel is, is something that's malleable to Zadie Smith. And then in terms of in Carson, like what prose and poetry can do and can you retell a story and can it read like a novel, but it's actually written in prose, like structurally that are far more interesting and kind of get into that kind of like minutia that painting gets into where we're like, Ooh, let's fiddle. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, but I think that you could also frame that as saying, like, basically it's become an academic discipline where it's playing with its own structures and frameworks and just reordering them in novel ways Yeah, at a certain point. Oh, yeah. Which I think is just a consequence of technological development. That happens in every field over time as the conversation moves on into the metaverse or into these other yeah. areas that just aren't touchable by something like painting or like a novel you end up just basically making pastiches that are reshuffles of certain things. And you yeah. can try your best to reflect like contemporary values and problems in these old media, but they can never compete with a movie. They yeah. can't compete with something in virtual but reality. But I, I think they you compete know. better against like a VR sculpture of like Plato figures. Maybe, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but I was only trying to make the point that it's useful to just think of them as a separate thing from the right. jump. Yeah. So that when you're, to flash back to the triennial thing where Dean Kissick is saying like, it used to be new, now everything seems old, there is no future. Like if you just frame the problem out for yourself that like painting is not about constructing a new conceptual future. It's about playing with old problems for fun in the current environment. Yeah, It becomes less consequential and maybe that's where actual expansion can come from. But you kind of first have to give up. Yeah. Which I don't think a lot of like very monetarily or commercially successful artists, I don't think they think in those terms. But I think they genuinely believe their own bullshit, which is that they're like a revolutionary vanguard when that hasn't existed since the 60s. And it's like, yeah, but you got to be honest about that before you can build anything new. But none of the institutional structures that the, support these type of artists and none of the dialogue that they have with each other. Well, institutional structures, meaning who buys the things. Everyone still wants some. Bullshit, but also some museums stupid, and stuff, uh, people yeah. that don't buy things. I mean, I think that's why the new museum ends up with a weird, boring triennial is because they're just a bunch of people circle-jerking each other that they're all the best. When it takes somebody like Dean Kissick to come and say, like, you've all given up and you don't even know it. Also, you know, based on, like, what's what was in it, like, it just seems like, you know, for any New York things that were in there, it was just like, wow, y'all didn't really travel very far to pick up things. Like, it's all very, like, eh, we went a couple blocks, went to a gallery, and we're like, yeah, you should be, this person's going to be in the show, we'll do studio visit, we'll go to Bushwick once, hit everybody that we need to see. And then, you know, arrange it with whoever the fuck. I guess so. But as always, like that stuff is a little less interesting to me because to some degree it, it, with a show in New York at any institution or gallery, that is what they're going to do. I mean, yeah. but That's just a natural consequence of the way But, you know, um, for, I don't know, for, are you okay there? Got a lot of wires. Um, I don't know. I think like what the, the crux of that, thing regarding that article regarding uh, the triangle he was like it's just dour like even the handling of the things is dour so like you can use whatever medium you want but like don't be dour about it like it's and it is self-serious and just kind of like morose and like navel gazy in the worst way painting painting and and drawing and you know for to whatever extent sculpture is is at its best when it's navel gazing but also when it looks down at the navel and then looks up to the stars, you know, and tries to figure out how to, you know, bridge the gap. Yeah. Um, right. And you can have like, you can have 
morose themes or morbidity or darkness in that construction. Like in that book, everything was forever until it was no more. They talk a lot about Soviet performance art in the seventies and eighties when that society was declining right before the collapse. And like a lot of the stuff that was happening was almost, it was really dark. Like people would dress up like zombies and like infiltrate crowds or people would lay on train tracks till like the last possible moment and then get up and run. Things that were like genuinely scary and dangerous and like frightened the public were going on, but they were always like presented like jackass. It was like a joke. Or I don't know how to do a, balalaika to make that like effective (laughs) but um yeah i mean hi i'm johnny moscow welcome to jackass welcome to jackass (laughs) but it was like that you know and and i I think it's actually funny because today you can see like russian dash cam videos and things like that those are fucking wild kind of along the same lines like there's a different relationship with like isn't there one where like sorry i'm gonna be distracted isn't there one where like a full like uh, sinkhole just opens up like right in front of a car. I don't know if I've seen that, but I can picture it in my head. Like uh, a car's driving calmly and then along just the whoosh, and yeah. there's a sinkhole and they just sort of slowly stop in front of it. No one even says anything. And then someone speeding just goes, yeah. Wee! <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, but there can be a different relationship with morbidity or whatever you want to say. Okay. You know, and, and still have a lot of fun with it. And it's not that anything consequential is going to come of that. Like that late Soviet performance stuff that didn't spawn like an entire generation of like artists or whatever. And in a lot of cases, I don't even know if it was thought about as art. It was more like just acting out. Yeah. In a dire situation. Well, yeah, like reactionary. Yeah. But there's a different problem like in our capitalist realist regime where the institutional capture is a real problem. It's hard to operate outside of the structures. Right. Which is what makes these institutional shows so boring and awful is that everybody involved in it shares the same values, but the general population doesn't share any of them. Well, this this is how it ties into like or kind of the link that he brings into Greater New York where he's like, you know, you can be emerging when you're dead because there's a lot of dead people in this fucking Greater New York show. I was like, you're not wrong. Right. There's like six dead people. I was talking with somebody about that. Maybe it was you. Um, but like... There's dead artists in that show that I think are genuinely like kind of compelling and sweet. Like it may not be for you, but like the Japanese guy that like made things out of like discarded cigarette packages and stuff. For oh, he's still alive. Yeah, I just assumed he was dead because that work was made in like the seventies or whatever. People who are alive in the seventies are alive today. Yeah, I know, but just given what was being talked about in the show, that misunderstanding Mm. makes sense, right? I just kind of assumed he was one of the dead ones. So we can cast that aside, but it's like, I think it's okay occasionally in one of these emerging shows to like recast dead people in that role, but it does really say a lot when that's not even really an exception to the rule anymore, when it comprises like a large portion of the show. Or a notable portion of the show. Yeah, you're like, okay, this isn't, this isn't like a coda. Yeah. to what's going on in New York right now. What you're saying is that the art world is functionally dead and we need the zombies. We need zombies and we need people who are, I mean... It's a weird tacit admission accidentally about the state of things. There was, Yeah, and I mean, part of the thing was like, there was no, he was like, there's no photography unless it was documentary and it was also of the 70s. <laughs> so like, the fuck? We're no good photography in, in the world right now. It's like, well, I don't think that's true. Um, but I think that's the curators also taking the reins and saying like we can make better art than artists can make by like organizing the right works right. and isn't the 1970s in New York kind of a reflection of the malaise of today's society and you're like 
Yeah, guys. It's that very, we've all read the same stuff. That's like very, the most obvious insight of all time. It becomes that kind of thing where it's like, remember when it was gritty? And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I've said many times, I'm like, yeah, I wish we could have a little, a couple more stabbings on the subway. I'm, I'm like, actually, you know what? No, kind of fucking annoying. Like, if anything, it's just going to slow everybody down and piss people off. Can we not? Um, we're a civilized society. Let's move along. But like the whole idea of like everything, like we're embracing the crunchy, like we're PS1, we're crunchy. It's like, no, you are endowed with billions of dollars. No, 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 no. You're not the redhead stepchild. This is an, not only, this is like a, you know, a saint making event. Right. Like this is not, you've made careers off of, for people with their inclusion in this show. I don't know how intentional it was, but it's interesting that you say saint because usually people are sainted after they're dead. Oops. Um, <laughs> well. Um, but yeah, there's there's a weird lack of acknowledgement about the power that these institutions hold. Even the new museum, I would say, you know, being in a new museum tri- triennial is no joke. That can probably make a career. Yeah, it can. It or really? maybe it used to be able to or something, but they never acknowledge their role. Museums pretend to be neutral in a way that they're obviously not no they know what they're doing they're just trying to get in on the cheap and get it quick before the price gets too big so that they their buying budget doesn't take a hit when they have to buy it to be encyclopedic later right maybe the new museum is a little bit more suspicious because we don't collect they don't collect yeah but being at the new museum i think for museums it's less about because the thing with museum collections is that it's not like they buy that much art. They have a limited budget to do that, but they really don't need to buy that much art. It's mostly gifted to them for tax evasion. They buy a lot of little things just as safekeeping, just in case. Yeah, I would agree with that, but my point is the majority of museum collections are not bought by the museum. They don't really care about that. So when mm. they're doing something like uh, a show for institutional clout... And the new museum is a perfect example of this, given that they don't collect. What they're trying to do is increase their donations and their endowment. They do need to seem cool to their collector base. Yeah. Or to their board. Donor base, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but like new photography is always like a scene because it's just like, what's going to be expensive after this? So when Momo puts that on, it's always just like, well, somebody got a career. And sometimes you're just like, what the fuck is this? But in the past, it has made people's full-ass lives. I, I see what you're saying, but I'm skeptical that any of this is like that centralized. I think what I'm trying to point out is just that these things are more incentive-based and that it's a complicated network of relationships that results in this stuff. I, I just feel... And nobody outright says that's what they're doing, but like a curator knows they're more likely to get a larger budget for the next show if they include certain things that the board likes right maybe but there's also like the power trippiness that we know exists in that and it's kind of like you know for a while the contemporary world of museology was very much like the golden globes like we'll take your payments well i feel like there was always that kind of like well take us out to dinner take us to the studio throw us a hand job you know like certain things just to kind of like you entertain us, we entertain you, we give you a little thing, we include you in a thing, especially in those like younger shows. Like this was also like a PS one thing of like Bob Nickus being like loving twinks. So like, you know, we had moments in recent history where it was just like, well, we scratch it back. We scratch it back. Okay, great. You got a career for at least five years. Maybe we implode it later. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I know you're not interested in, in that portion of it, but I, I find it like a little like 
that old regime of king making interesting well, the the thing that's interesting to me about it is that it can't be up front like that anymore oh no so what we're talking about are problems that result from having to n- to lie about your corruption yeah when you can be up front about it and everybody knows that it's you know soft corruption on every level from the artists to the dealers to the collectors to the museums and it can be up front not highly spoken about but very obvious to everyone that's one thing but when you have to go through all this subterfuge it's interesting because what you're talking about is the deep state of the art world yeah when you're talking about people on museum boards and basically high level art dealers you are talking about a cartel that makes all the decisions for everybody else and we always knew that right well and that's largely always been the case but Everybody was in the know and able to be in the know, but now people can get canceled. Now people can get me too. Like the awareness that the art world has to have about the politics of their dynamics, but not well because gets then in it's the just, way of doing anything interesting. But it someone. means that you can still do nepotism, but not based on you know, just like whoever has the most cash. You can do a little bit of like side nepotism of like friend nepotism, not merit. And no, 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 but it was ne- but it was always friend nepotism. It yeah. was never a mer- it was never a meritocracy, no. but that was a more obvious thing. And things like trading sexual favors for a career just happened. No, and also like think you about know? like having all the people that Leo used to show, having museum retrospectives at twenty six or thirty or whatever. Just like Leo knew how to like, you know. Well, there's there's art dealers today. You know how doing, to throw a hand job? Like, there's you know, art like, dealers today doing that for young people too. Yeah, I mean, you know, Shara Hughes didn't get there on her own. Avery Singer didn't get there on her own. You know, none of none of these people. It's not really on the artist to do any of that stuff. They do have to participate in that pretty actively. Yeah, and they do have to say and you know say the right things and shake the right hands. But it's not them making the real power moves. No, I mean, like, it's it's a lot of, like, like, hey, are you good at dinner parties? Great. You're, Oh, you paint? Great. Okay, I can I can do a career for you as long as you don't make an ass of yourself. And even if you do, if you're charming, it'll be okay. Right, but that sort of, ex- the, the charm factor is one thing, I guess, that's an outlier. But what that ends up doing is canceling out a lot of eccentric people that don't do well at dinner parties. Yeah. That I don't think used to be as, as true because part of what you were parading around is this is my art friend who's interesting. Yeah. And I think you can attribute that to like oligarchic rot hmm. where ruling classes used to be more interesting because a lot of them were nouveau riche that had earned their money. Yeah. And even the second generation and third generation people that were familial wealth felt a noblesse oblige and a responsibility to institutions in culture and broader society to like improve it by seeking out eccentricity and weirdos. But the more and more professionalized everything becomes and the more and more politically correct everything becomes. Yeah. um, You can't have people like that anymore. Mm -hmm. So the people that are successful are the rise and grind hustle people. And the people that are in charge of making those decisions, not only want those type of people, they think of themselves as eccentric because four generations of sitting on their ass now. So NFTs become interesting. So like thing, things that to you and I are obvious snake oil. They legitimately think they're cool. 
You can't go that many generations of people that have no real investment in the world around them because they've been so isolated from any consequence. It's very much the... You know? What we're basically talking about is collectors are basically... um, What's the... Are are Kendall Roy's of the world. And they're surrounded by people who have to... They're not Kendall, they're Roman. No, no, no. They're Kendall Roy, but they're surrounded by the people who have to hire the mini Wu-Tang. And the mini Wu-Tang have to be kind of interesting, like in the birthday party episode. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Yeah, I take your point. It kind of, it, it's kind of that. It is It is that, exactly. And why is mini Wu-Tang interesting to somebody like Kendall Roy? Gallerists are just Dasha. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Woof. Okay. I hate, it. I hate myself for saying that. <laughs> I'll see myself out. Through the window onto the concrete. Um, yeah, but no, that's exactly what it is. And anybody that's seen Succession like knows why those people are so broken because their interior family dynamics are so toxic and fucked up and their insulation from the broader world leads them to make completely irrational and boring decisions. And 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 they're surrounded by RVs who want to keep the cash flow flowing, so they're just going to u- use... They're more interesting friends because they just normied their way into being some rich person's attache. Right. Which gallerists are that. They're just, I mean. Which is why they. They're kind of decorators. They are decorators. And I mean. That sounds really shitty. I, I, I feel bad about that, but I'm like, I don't, no, I don't know how much belief is behind a lot of programming. Nothing. None. Well, zero. We Absolutely that. none. Absolutely zero. And you know what? And that's okay. Like, it's not the job of the yeah. art dealers to to worry about that. But, you know, other fucked up dynamics come into play where they end up thinking of themselves as poor because they're spending a lot of time with billionaires as millionaires. And you get all of yeah. these effects, like, down the line that lead to abuses, but also, which we've talked a lot about, but also on the level of the actual art that's being promoted and produced leads to bad stuff, boring yeah. stuff. Well, the... To segue, this is what was part of that um, uh, profile of the Metro, the ladies of Metro. Yeah, tell me about that. Because like like I told you the other night, I read one profile of one woman, but not the other one. Janelle or the other one? Don't remember. Um, She was incredibly blasé about this whole thing. They're both both just like, whatever. Um, But like if you read, um, what the fuck is that? The L.A. Mafia book with that's basically about Jack Goldstein, the Cal Arts Mafia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the thing: those ladies never come across very well, like ever. So I'm like, we like you. Um, uh, backtrack. Walk me back. I just lost it. Fuck. Uh, the ladies from Metro Pictures on this profile. You were saying that they come across pretty blasé, and that if you look back at the book. The Cal Arts right. Mafia okay. book so, that they never... Well, yeah, that I remember, but it's the the bridge I'm losing. Um, the whole idea of like someone being, again, the attache kind of thing, it's just, just this kind of thing of, well, you know, one of them worked for Leo. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, you know, and like it's just very flagrant, not flagrant, but just going like, oh, you know, Leo Leo always had to take a loan out in the summertime. His his good artists paid for the young ones and even the good ones only sold twice or three times a year. So you had Jasper Johns and Frank sell, you sell two of them that floats you through the whole year. And then you got to take out a loan. How often do you want to do that? How do, is that really the way you want to live? I'm like, excuse me. Like Leo never 
put I don't know you've seen him in painter's painting he's just like yes I am I am a maestro yes I make the money yes I, yeah. I am a magician of money and art and uh, I like the things and I like them more if they make money and you're like of course that's that's he's a really he's really good at the like magic the showmanship of art yeah well and there's a transparency to it that's admirable yeah, he's like, eh, I couldn't. Se- I don't think I could sell it, but then I did, so I loved it. And you're like, <laughs> you bitch, love you. Um, but like, they're just like, I don't know. Like, you have to really deal with like production. We we don't want to pay up front for anything to be produced. We don't want to take on that responsibility. So we were losing people left and right. I'm like, what? Why would you want to cut off your own fucking supply? Well, this <laughs> what is wrong with you? This is kind of interesting. And I mean, speaking at it from a distance, I still have to read this thing. It's funny because, you know, they're criticizing Leo Costelli for exactly the same problem. Like, hey, we're a new, younger generation of capitalists, and we understand economies of scale. We see where this is going. You have to get larger and increase your capacity to make more money. Yeah. What do you mean you're just happy with your one home and taking a loan every summer based on your stock portfolio as collateral? To just live the same lifestyle that you've always lived. You don't want $10 million. You want $100 million. So these women understand this and break away from Leo Costelli and start doing that. But as this exact same dynamic confronts them a few decades later, they don't continue forward don't care. with it. But also don't care about, like, like this is where, like, the ethics idea, like, goes to shit where it's, like, they're, like, oh, you know, because they showed Gursky early. Yeah. Um, and that he obviously went to... Larry, because light boxes the size of fucking billboards are expensive, and if you're running a, from what we know from backdoor information, that your books are not in order, you can't pay for it, and you're gonna lose them. Meanwhile, you stand to make shitloads more to kind of ba- you know balance your budget, but you're not gonna put it up front because you're like oh, I don't want to take the risk. Like it's very risk averse and in a way that is very strange because they even talk about like hiring um, uh, Cindy as an assistant or as the desk girl because Cindy Sherman. Yeah. Cindy. I think our listeners know who Cindy is. Continue. Anywho. um, Because Robert charcoal guy, Robert Longo. Thank you. I don't Whatever. I've had three glasses. You'd be surprised what people do and don't know. I've had three I, glasses I, of wine. I don't remember people's last names. Um, I'm only doing this because I heard from somebody the other night that they appreciate this. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I'm aware. Um, but Robert went to them and was like, you got to get Cindy. Cindy's looking for work. She's really got to like, you know, she's really got to get something together. She took it. She took a job at Macy's. And I was like, Okay. Like, like I'm a they, little bit confused pa- about what the story like is. Like they here. paint him as just like this pathetic, like weep, like oh he came to us, like just like oh, he, uh, and also they paint him bad because they're he they paint him as a, like begging to. Meanwhile, they're in the 80s and they're like 19 or 20 or something. She's sure. like, please give her a desk job. Let I don't me want let me just clarify the story for my sake and the listeners' sake. What you're, what you're saying is that Robert Longo came to the women that ran, ran Metro Pictures and said, hey, can you give Cindy Sherman a desk job because she has to work at Macy's and that's undignified. Kind of. Yeah. And they were just like, oh, he was so like, hmm. I'm like, why would you not? Like, if you know someone and you're like, please, like, she doesn't want to do that, like, but at least it's a 95, like, fine. But to be, like, smug about it, I was like, bitches. Do you know the legacy 
of those of us who do this and that come on like the amount of people who i know well no they don't they don't seem aware of it and they probably aren't aware they don't care yeah they're not aware of the catastrophe of like getting an entire generation to go to college on the promise that it would pay more Mm -hmm. and then in the case of a lot of artists telling them you need to get an mfa or your undergrad degree is worth nothing yeah sending them further into debt in in a world where there's more people than ever with these degrees there's more debt than ever and there's not possibly enough positions in the blue chip art world to sustain all of these wannabes yeah so yeah there's a lot of people that work at macy's now yeah and the no they don't know that though they don't know i know and the the part that kind of like (sighs) never affected them so they never bothered to look into it there's also this part of me that kind of like there's a phrasing in it that sounds like they were like yeah they're all kind of dumb like, because they're talking about, like, the pictures generation people are like, they're people who are really whip smart about making things, but, like, they could never really articulate it. So we were really gracious. We are really glad that, like, October came along and could phrase all of this because we don't really want them in front of the public articulating the ideas around pictures gen stuff. That also makes it seem like they didn't know how to do it. Yeah. So they were thankful for other people to contextualize. So that way they, they could sell it. Yeah. Intuitively thought was good. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. I it, it's just kind of bad. I don't know. Like there are people who are like, oh, it's so great. Oh, we're so glad for Metro Pictures. I'm like, I don't know. It seems pretty bad. Like, like it seems pr- like there's not a respect for artists at the end of the day. Yeah, it doesn't sound like there is. I mean, the one that I read, the lady basically said, like, you know, COVID happened and we could have made it work, but we basically just didn't feel like it. Yeah, they're basically just like, do you want to be responsible for 40 employees? No. And I'm like, what? Which, which You've hey, done it for fucking 40 years. Which, hey, like, if you want to retire or whatever, that's fine. But what I think they're trying to cover up, and you've alluded to this already, is basically that, like we ran a really disorganized and mismanaged business for a really long time. So when this black swan event happened, it was actually a really good excuse to just drop it instead of eventually go ignominiously bankrupt. But the callousness with, with which they're willing to dispense with their employees, their stable of artists, the legacy of a thing that they built because like Metro pictures to me is not these two women. I didn't know about them until they came on the scene to justify the death of this gallery. Oh. But I always liked Metro Pictures because I like a lot of the artists that showed there. Well, a- the one it- was in in it with Jeff Goldstein. Jeff Goldstein. <laughs> Oops. That's a weird hybrid of uh, Jeff Goldblum <laughs> and Jack Goldstein. I, They're actually kind of the same person. Look, they kind of look the same, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. Jeff Goldblum's going to die of a heroin overdose in a trailer in California. Whoa. Oh, boy. Um but a, a Jekyll, like, you know, reading about that relationship, I'm just like, oh, boy. Because um, she, she even says, like, Jack wasn't a painter until David Sally started painting. Like, very flippantly. I'm like, wow, you hate him, and he's been dead for 30 years, ma'am. Yeah, it's weird. Whoa. I don't know. I mean, Jack Goldstein's an interesting he's case, though, a to prick, do a, a little know? aside where, I don't know if he was a prick. I mean, I think other artists always spoke pretty highly of him. He did seem like he was arrogant, but charming. Um, But David Sally in that How to See book, he has an essay on Jack Goldstein where he is very, very, very critical of his paintings. And Mm. he doesn't say it 
outright that it's because other people were painting but that's what's implied is that like jack just wanted some money yeah and so he went for the bag and he made a bunch of it yeah but then you know when when the bottom fell out there wasn't much substance there to back up what he was trying to do his conceptual work might have gotten him farther if he'd just gone through the ebbs and flows of the market cycle rather than take advantage of a boom yeah um maybe he wouldn't have ended up killing himself or whatever which i mean you know, it's an alternative history thing where sure. you're like, ultimately, these hinge points are not accessible. It's fun to think about that, but things just go the way they go. Yeah. But anyway, the, the only point I was trying to make about Metro is that the thing that's a little bit sad to me is that Metro as an institution like was meaningful to me as somebody that like likes pictures generation artists. Yeah. And uh, does have a romantic notion of what the 80s art world was kind of like. Which, you know, has been thoroughly shattered just by time and experience. Being around him. But uh, it's interesting to me that the people that constructed this brand would not think, like, maybe we just need There's to retire no s- and pass this on. But the reason they can't do that is that the business is so utterly mismanaged that they would just be passing on a sinking ship to somebody else. The word that we're dancing around is the idea, is the word stewardship. Yeah. Like, because if you think about, like, Metro Pictures, okay, closing, whatever. Paula Cooper still cook, still kicking, still right. going to the office every day. Right. And as far as anyone knows, besides having a little fire, the money's tight. You know, sure. And there's succession plans, and it's because it's all about how do you care for the artist, how do you care for the art. We've established a legacy. We know what our power is. We know that we need to care for things. Right. 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 And maybe this is like rose tinted glasses. I don't know. No, I think there's some truth to this. Like. I don't know if there's a succession plan, for example, but I would imagine that there is. Like, having worked next door to that place for a while, I can tell you that, like, the senior uh, directors there and stuff are old people. Yeah, they're not young. (laughs) They're not young people, like, hired off the street that used to have a job at Gagosian, now have one here, now have one there. They've been there for a long long time. time. So I would imagine that they're partners in the business, that they're pretty invested in its future. Yeah. And that when Paul Cooper retires which semi is already she'll die at that desk when she dies things will move on just fine and it says a lot about a gallery like that that they can keep somebody like dan graham when gagosian exists that's crazy the the caliber of artists that paula cooper has been able to maintain and And sustain sustain promote their legitimacy against the onslaught of mega galleries is really admirable and also keep what's his face clock man Christian Markley. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. That would be ins- like if it was Gagosian, there would always just be like a Gagosian theater where it'd just be 24/7 here you go. Well, maybe there would be, maybe there wouldn't be, but like speaking of production budgets, I mean the budget for Clock must have Ooh, been fuck. insane. Yeah. I mean licensing. And Ooh. I'm sure that Christian Markley didn't pay for that himself. Mm-mm. And I bet that was a break even or a loss leader project. I wouldn't be surprised if nobody made money on that. But there's a reason nobody needs to make money on that (laughs) you know what i mean it's it's yeah it's smart as a business person especially when you're in an industry that is so heavy on branding and identity that you do just take the loss sometimes for the greater good of your company because that's also well it's that but it's also actually belief in the work or in the belief that art can do something. It's a it's a different kind of i will i'm gonna draw the line right there and say that maybe that's true I am a pessimist mm. when it comes to that. I don't I don't trust art dealers. I think that's what Paula Cooper might say. I doubt that's the truth. I think the truth is, listen, 
we're going to eat a million on this one, but the notoriety that this is going to bring this gallery and Christian Marclay is going to generate. We can sell so many works on paper that have been sitting in, in storage the, for fucking ever. In the yeah. next two years, so we'll do it. I think it's very calculated. I don't think smart business people ever do things because they believe in anything. Yeah. Much like politicians, they're not to be trusted. Well, I mean, my thing, like, the only reason why, again, my rose colored glasses are out is because in the in the Gober catalog, there's a note, like, there's an essay or, like, a diary entry where he uh, notes, like, walking down the street with her and, like, whenever she, like, puts out a cigarette, she doesn't throw it on the street. She, like, snuffs it out and put it, puts it in her cigarette case. Like, she doesn't litter. Like, and I don't know if that's an OCD thing or someone who's just, like, who's careful. I'm sure she's very careful. And it might be OCD. I, I don't know how much that speaks to her sensitivity. I don't think it's sweetness. To... I don't think it doesn't automatically go to sweetness, but it is considered as an affect to do that. Well, it's worth saying, too, that that's also an act of propaganda and self-mythologizing. You have to take all of those things with a grain of salt. That's probably a single story that's been exaggerated into basically a legend at this point. Well, he wrote it. Of course, but that's supposed to demonstrate a lot about his, his character yeah, through Paula true. Cooper's character, right. and et cetera, et cetera. Again, it's it's network effects and incentive structures all the time. Yeah. If you think in that way, it's always the same conversation. Right. You know? But I don't doubt that she's a sensitive person. I don't doubt that she's a careful person. And she might even believe her own bullshit about caring about art. But what she cares about is money or else she would be an artist. Here's the thing. Well, maybe, but... Again, what's the only bathroom in town? Yeah. Uh, noblesse oblige. I mean, you go shit. to Paul Cooper to take <laughs> you a You gotta shit. pee, yeah. <laughs> you shit in Paul Cooper? No, I never did. But people did. I walked in there one time and it looked like a subway station bathroom. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> You're like, is this a Starbucks? Ma'am. Yeah. Gallerina, someone blew up the bathroom. <laughs> it was not me. I am appalled as you are. Um, Always thought about it. I was like, no, we got to go to the second floor of the the Raymond Naftali for this one. Oh yeah, that's the uh that's the McDonald's bathroom at Chelsea. <laughs> if you know what it is, you're like <laughs> I need to go to 2 quickly. I'm taking the stairs. Fuck this. <laughs> I'm not waiting for the elevator, man. Oh, it's one ply? Oh god. I'll be here for a while. <sighs> <sighs> All right, how do you feel? How do you, did we talk art enough? Do we feel Yeah, like- we talked art a lot. We can stop there that if you want to. Oh, I, I feel like I think that was a good momentum breaker. I'm yeah, right. done. yeah, shitting in the <laughs> yeah. of Tally Building. <laughs> well, so it goes. Um, can we have some Patreon money? I'm going to do a Patreon plug at the end. Why? I'm drunk. Um, Patreon. It's the end of the year. Give us your money. Don't don't be a don't be a freebie. Don't be a don't be a guilty conscience. I need barons. I need a fleet of barons. <laughs> I have gifts that need to be bought. They are cashmere sweatpants. It has to happen. And I I do need the $5 that I will never see to have it come through the coffers. We appreciate you. We thank you. And good night.